0: Okay, all right. Morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? <laughs> okay, let me ask that question a different way. How's everybody besides Mel doing this morning? <laughs> oh man, if you were with us last night, oh boy! And if you weren't, well, you missed out. That's all I can say. You've never seen anybody play a mop quite like, <laughs> quite like that. It was cool. Hey, uh, just uh, maybe quickly by a little applause, help me understand the context. Uh, how many of you people grew up in church? How many grew up in church? Okay, all right. All right, okay, okay, settle down, settle down. How many of you didn't grow up in church? No church background when you grew up. Okay, a couple. Thank you. Okay. Now, those of you that grew up in church, how many of you say, when you can think back to your life growing up in church, how many of you would say there were a lot of rules growing up in church? How many feel like they had a lot of rules? Okay, all right, so you guys can relate a little bit to this, because the tradition that I grew up in uh, came kind of out of this Wesleyan holiness tradition, and there was a great deal of emphasis on the way we behaved. As a matter of fact, it could get a little out of hand, Uh, and, and some of you may have heard this term before called legalism. Okay, and if you've heard the term legalism, uh, meaning, you know, b- very rules-based, and, and, and uh, I don't want to dig too deeply into that, but just to give you the context, you know, of, of having these rules, again, those of you that clapped, you probably know what I'm talking about because my wife and I have similar backgrounds this way, and oftentimes when we get together with people who've had some similar experience, we end up talking about them, and, and the conversation could go something like this. Well, you know, when we were growing up, we couldn't dance. Hmm, mm. yeah, well, then somebody else would say, yeah, we, we couldn't go to movies right? And then somebody would say, "Oh, well, we couldn't play cards." Right? Oh, wow. So there were all these rules that we had to follow. And and then there was a whole subset of special rules around Sunday. And this is where my wife usually wins because if it's a contest, because apparently when they grew up on Sunday all you were allowed to do was go to church, which they did twice, go to Sunday school, or take a nap. And if they really, really wanted to cut loose, apparently they could play church, play Sunday school, or presumably play at taking a nap. Um, and I'm not, I'm not making this up. Like, my grandfather, my grandfather, uh, this is a story that came to me later in life, my grandfather would stay up until just before midnight on Saturday, before it rolled over to Sunday morning, so he could shave be- before midnight. Because apparently for some reason, it wasn't okay to shave on Sunday, on the Sabbath. So he would stay up late so he could be relatively clean-shaven to go to church the next day. Anyone ever heard that one before? Does it sound a little ridiculous? Yeah, well, you know what, to my grandfather's credit, later in life, he admitted that that was pretty ridiculous. Those are some of the rules that some... Of you. Some of you will relate to some of those, not dancing, not, you know, all that stuff. Like, those are rules we grew up with. And somehow the Christian life, in some way, you know, has this element of being defined by behaviors. And certainly there's this emphasis. In, uh, in scripture, and, and I'm glad kind of the way that Ben talked about uh, communion this morning ties in very nicely to this because we see that there were a lot of rules and regulations that had to be followed, and some of you. Who know your Bibles well? You're really familiar with those. You understand the context in which the Old Testament was written, and all of the rules that were part of the law that that needed to be followed in order for things to be satisfactory in terms of the people's relationship with God. And uh, you know, I'm I'm, re- I'm reading in in uh, Kings right now, like um, Second Kings, uh, where, where I'm at in my one-year Bible plan. The 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 K- Kings pattern, right, is this king was good and and these good things happened. And this king was bad and these bad things happened. And we see this direct connection like a cause and effect. So it's no wonder that, that we have some of these thoughts ingrained, right, because they are part of how we see things unfolding in scripture. But for those of you that didn't grow up in church, And this will connect with some of you who did. Like, we all understand that somehow good behavior is set up as some sort of an ideal. And how many of us as parents, oh, what do you say to your kids? Now, you be good. We're going to go and visit your aunt. You be good. And then, of course, there was always the reward that would come with being good, right? That good behavior is something to be cherished and, and lifted up and admired and set on a pedestal and as your parents you use them as bribes right i mean the classic one that comes to my mind is you better not what is it, you better watch out you better not cry you better not pout. i'm telling you why 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 not why because santa's coming to town he sees you when you're sleeping he knows when you're, it is creepy every breath you take every move like if when we were kids if we processed this like we'd be hiding under our beds going <laughs> santa claus is but here's the problem that that too often that creeps into our theology and we understand that God is omnipotent he is all powerful he is omniscient he is all knowing and he is omnipresent meaning he's everywhere and how often do people view Santa Claus and God in the same sort of through the same lens where God is watching me See, I had a friend who, he's a pastor now, but growing up, he's, he's a great, he was always a really good piano player. But he had a piano teacher who, when he was playing piano, if he made a mistake, she'd crack him across the knuckles with a ruler. That was the kind of piano teacher, right? And the thing is, how many of us like see God like that? Like, God's watching me, and if I make a mistake, he's just waiting to, you know? And And let's face it, God has a pretty big ruler. So... I think we need to be really, really careful that this type of thinking isn't creeping into our view of God, into our theology. Or else we find ourselves in one of these terrible places where we've got a set of scales in our mind and we're constantly trying to balance out the good and the bad. And we're just thinking, I know I messed up, but if I can do just a bit more good and just try to keep those things at least balanced, if not tip it a little bit to the good side. And those of you that know your Bible, you you know. We heard this morning, Ben articulated it for us again clearly around the communion table. We know that we are saved by grace through our faith in Jesus Christ. And there's nothing else, there's nothing that you can do. And you can articulate that to the perfect perfection of doctrinal, you know, just dot that I, cross the T, and everything would be perfect. You know how to say it. You know what it's all about. And yet somehow we allow these little, um, these little uh, things to creep in to our, 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 our theology or even not consciously but the way we practice things. So I pose the question, why? Why is it important if we do good? Like, what, what is really, really important about our behavior? Why, why is it so important for us to be good? Or I should say to do good, because being good has a whole other implication, doesn't it? And I sort of wrestle with that a little bit, because I know I don't always do good. And I, I wonder how closely God is watching and exactly what the, you know, what am I being graded on here? Am I being graded? Like, what's going on? And if you've ever felt that way, the good news is that there are lots of places in Scripture we can turn to for clarification. And the one that hit me that that I just wanted to share a couple of minutes from this morning is in the book of Titus. We heard the verses read already to us this morning, but if you have your Bible and you want to look at Titus chapter 3, unfortunately I uh, included in the the bulletin the wrong, uh, not all the verses, I think I said 3 to 8, which was not the complete passage, but we did hear it all read this morning. Titus 3, starting... At um, verse 1. And um, the book of Titus is, is one of these pastoral epistles and uh, commonly credited to the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul writing to Titus, who apparently was a uh, Gentile convert. Uh, on the Isle of Crete, and uh, he uh, is writing in this pastoral way to inform him of some important things that he needs to know. It's like reminiscent of if you read Timothy, First and Second Timothy, the letter that Paul would write. And I feel like these letters have such value for us because they deal directly with stuff that was going on in the church and problems that people were facing. And let's face it, we deal with a lot of that same stuff today. And, and in chapter 3, we read verse 1 the apostle Paul talks a little bit about the importance of us doing good, right? So he starts out by by reminding us that we need to submit to the government and and to be accountable, right? To be obedient. Uh, Verse 2, he explains how we should act towards others, some things that we should do and not do, right? We shouldn't slander, we shouldn't quarrel, we should be gentle, right? These ideas. Now, when I read verses like that in Scripture that talk about doing good, right? Paul is saying, you need to do this, these good things. I would really, really love for the next verse to start with the word because so that he would explain to me, okay, this is why I need you to do this. This is why this is important. But Paul takes a bit of a left turn on this, and instead of going into the because, he says, for we were once lost, like, he, he he reminds us that we were once too foolish and disobedient. Which, to me, is reminiscent, again, of what Paul wrote, say, in, uh, you know, Romans, right? Like, that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's standard. And I'm not sure, you know, at first glance, you know, well, why why would Paul take that left turn? Like, just to remind us of where we came from. But okay, it's true, so okay. So somehow that's important. So as he reminds us of this, in verse 4, there's this significant word, right? But. I was still hoping for a because. But he he says, but. After reminding us where we came from, he starts into this uh, very succinct summary of the gospel. When our Savior, right? But when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, something happened at this point. And Paul very clearly states, right, we were saved not because of the righteous things that we have done, but because of his mercy, because of his grace, Right? He washed away our sins, giving us new birth in the Holy Spirit. Right, He poured out the Spirit on us, generously poured out the Spirit on us through Jesus Christ. And it's because of this grace that he's made us right, and he's given us this promise of eternal life. And then, just to emphasize what he said, to put the, what it we said this morning, the emphasis... On the right syllable, he says, this is a trustworthy saying. I want you to note this and to make sure that you teach it to others so that they will do good. And then we kind of get to the because. Because it's beneficial to others. So why the heck do we take this major departure between his statement that we need to do good to get to the because it benefits others? I think that it is incredibly important to pay attention to this because the reminder that Paul sets out here is that you should do good. But before he tells us why we should do good, he makes a very intentional Detour to remind us that in doing good That has absolutely nothing to do with our salvation So don't mix those things up Yes, it's important to do good And we'll talk about why but Remember this That you doing good had absolutely nothing to do with your standing before Christ This is where you came from and this is how you got where you are now. And it had nothing to do with your behavior or your ability to do good. It had everything to do with Jesus Christ. Clear? Right? I said, yeah, we all know that, don't we? Okay, so, because, why do good? I insist on these teachings so that others will do good. And, and this doing good benefits others. There are three reasons I can think of. There's probably a lot more. There's three reasons I can think of that, that our doing good really does matter, okay? One of them is, is very simple, and you see it throughout the entirety of Scripture. I think it's it's clear that the first reason why we do good is because our faith is active, okay? God is calling us to be actors, in His great work, not audience. This is very important. If you you look at the Scripture, whenever God calls anybody, the call is to action. The call is not to sit back and just observe. Okay? So obviously what we do matters because God is calling us to be active. There's another reason why what we do matters because it is evidence of the transformation that's taking place in our lives. What we do is very much the evidence. And Paul himself is a great example of this, isn't he? If you look at Paul prior to his experience on the Damascus Road, if you look at Paul standing by at the stoning of Stephen to where he ends up after he encounters Jesus, what a transformation. What was the evidence of that transformation? It was what he did, right? I mean, to the point, right, when you think about that transformation, like people were very skeptical of Paul at first, and it was only because of what he did and continued to do, the evidence of the transformation that had actually taken place in his life, that, of course, people would begin to accept him as an apostle. And we're all somewhere on that continuum, right, of transformation. If we are in relationship with Jesus Christ, you start out somewhere over here. The relationship between us and God is reconciled through Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit, and Paul was careful even to point out the work of the Holy Spirit in these verses we read. The word of the Holy Spirit begins transformation in our lives. Now, we all didn't start out on the farthest end of being, you know, the worst kind of, you know, criminals or whatever it was that you can imagine that was terrible and, and then move, you know, all the way over to being a saint. But we're all somewhere on the continuum of transformation if God is at work in our lives. And what we do is evidence of that transformation. So that's another reason why what we do matters. And a third reason comes from this idea of benefiting others and is a very strong theme i think throughout paul's you know ministry and his communication is that what we do benefits others because it's part of our mission there's nobody more missional than paul and i think it's important for us to understand that that what we do has an impact on our mission and if you think about our vision as a church to reach others, to reach out to those who are not part of the church, to those who have left the church or have never had faith. We all need to be concerned with mission and we all need to understand that in some way what we do has an impact on mission. And I think it is very much tied up in this one word, or maybe you could say two words, that it benefits others. Because so much I believe so much of what God is actually concerned with when it comes to what we do is involved with how it relates to others. And think about it. Look at verse 2 for a second. What, what are some things that Paul tells us not to do? What's something? Shout it out. What's one thing Paul tells us not to do? Don't slander? Don't slander? Okay, what else? Don't slander. What? Hmm. Okay. What else does he say? What does he say to do? B- what's that? Be peaceable. Be peaceable. Okay. What else? Consider considerable considerate. Okay. Yeah. These things that he tells us to do. Be humble. Do you, do you notice how these are very relational things that he's talking about? that ever 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 jump out at you that that i had to go through this a few times before this really jumped out at me for me to see like how concerned paul is with the others and and i think this really tracks in scripture right because if you were to look back when 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 jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment he said it was to love the lord your god right Completely, entirely, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, right? All your soul, all your body, all your strength, all your spirit. Just love God with your whole self. That was the question. What is the greatest commandment? But Jesus doesn't stop there. Jesus goes on just to make the point that the second most important commandment is to love your neighbor as you love yourself. That it is very important for us to love God. That is the first and most important. But by the way, you also need to love others that's also important. And everything else hangs on these two things. And if you were to look at the scriptures, I mean, look at the Old Testament, right? If you look at the, even the Big Ten, right? What, what? I am the Lord your God, right? Brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You will have no other gods before me, right? Is number one, the Big Ten. Number one, you will have no other gods before me, right? Love God. But if you go down the list, and a lot of you remember, you know, you won't steal, you won't you know, lie, cheat, covet, all those things. Do you realize, like, those are all, like, sins against others? And if you truly love somebody, if you would treat them as you would like to be treated, it gets kind of hard to steal from them. It's a little harder to lie to them or to cheat them. Now, look, we are flawed human beings. And I realize that in our sinfulness, we oftentimes, it's very possible for us to hurt the people that we love. That, that comes with the territory of being a broken human being. But if you do love somebody and you're actually working to treat them the way you want to be treated, you see how it gets a lot harder to do these things. And I have conversations with Folks, you know, some of you I've had this type of conversation with here. You know, you talk about what you do for a living and, you know, it's where you spend an awful lot of your time. And I hear people say things like, yeah, I I like my job a lot, but what I really can't stand is all the politics in the office. I can't stand all the gossip and the backbiting and it's just, oh. Anybody heard that one before? Anybody live in that one? Right, it's such a common experience, and what I propose, you know, in, in terms of what Paul is suggesting here, in terms of how doing good benefits others, right, is is the way that we act, interact, the way we treat people. I think is a huge part of what people see in us that is important. That they that they might coexist with you in an environment like that, but but they will notice that you know. Around here, there's an awful lot of gossip. But uh, I noticed that, uh, you know, Paul doesn't participate in that. Right? You know, the, the, that they, they see the, the difference, you know, in the way that, uh, you know, Walter or, uh, you know, or Barb or, or whoever, you know, the way that you, that you act and interact. And they go, that, they see that there is a difference. And I really believe that this is a huge part of what God is concerned with when he, when he compels us to consider doing good. I might be going out on a limb here, but I think that when it comes to you know, the words that come out of our mouths and the things that we do, I don't think God is nearly as concerned with whether or not you drink or smoke or go to dances or do whatever things that you might do if you know how to do good to others. I'm not saying that God isn't concerned with things like that. But I think it's a whole different paradigm than what we sometimes make it. We talk about language so much sometimes. Do we use good language or bad language? Listen, I have heard Christians cut other people down with such venom and never use a single foul word. Now, I think God's a lot more concerned with that than he is with what I said when I hit my thumb with the hammer. Okay? Which probably wasn't very nice. (laughs) But do you understand what I'm saying? Which of those two things do you think God is most concerned with? You know, if you, if, you, if you choose to do or not do certain things for principled reasons, that can be really, really beneficial, right? If God's laid a conviction on your heart that you don't want to be addicted to caffeine or addicted to nicotine or addicted to anything else, and you abstain because you feel that, like that's great. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. but I think God's still concerned more with how we react to other people. Why do you do good? Are you trying to balance out a set of scales? Or are you concerned with the mission that God has called you to? Just as, you, as we kind of wrap up here, just, just an opportunity to reflect this morning. Um, you know, you think about the reasons that I talked about for doing good. Because we are called to action. Is your faith active or inactive? Reflect on that for a minute. Because if you don't feel that your faith is active, I think you're missing a really important element. Our faith you know, the action that we act out of faith is evidence of transformation. Think about the transformation that God is doing in your life. I would really hope that if you were looking at my life over the past 10, 15 years, you know, however long you've known me, and you would say, you know, I can see. I can see a difference. I see movement in that that person, you know, in that guy, right? That God is transforming. When you look at your own life, do you see evidence of God transforming you? If you don't, I would really encourage you to take an opportunity to have some conversation with with some uh, other Christians. Come and talk to one of the elders. Um, you know, so often we get caught in that trap where we're like we feel like we're in the rut where we're com- just committing the same sins over and over again, and we feel stuck, like we're not getting anywhere. Maybe there's something else that God is calling you or an opportunity God has for you to take another step in that transformational journey. We should all be seeing transformation in our lives. And then what about, you know, mission? How is the way you act, how is that impacting those around you? Have you ever found yourself, you know, kind of doing the right things for the wrong reasons? Are, are you very, very, you know, kind of well-behaved in your work environment but not particularly loving or charitable about it? What, you know, what is the impression of, of our Lord and Savior that people are getting by watching you in action? Well, these are tough questions, right? And I have struggled. I, I have struggled with these. I have come up short and I am so thankful for the grace and mercy of God, our, our, our loving you know, Heavenly Father and, and, and how His you know, grace just covers over so many of these mistakes. But we have an opportunity and I say this so often, don't, don't leave this place today if God is speaking anything to you about this stuff. If, if, if the Holy Spirit is prompting something in your heart, don't ignore Him please don't ignore them. Take the opportunity while it is fresh to, to have, you know, to just to start a, a conversation and, and, you know, follow God on this exciting journey of where he wants to lead you. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up and... Again, just as, as you know, we have a few moments as we're kind of wrapping up today. Just consider the things that you do, why you do them, and where the Lord might be prompting you.